if you have any questions or comments and you'd like them to be on the show, feel free to leave me a voice message. The link for that should be in the show notes. If you want to leave me a message, you can find me on Instagram at Adam underscore Elisha, on Twitter at Mathematically Speaking, and there's now a Facebook group called Mathematically Speaking where we're going to be having discussions after every show, and I'll be posting episodes there about a day early. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Hello, and welcome back to Mathematically Speaking. I am your host, Adam Allred, and today we begin our mini-series on infinity. And to proper, properly discuss infinity and the complexity that, that's involved in that concept, uh, we have to first discuss what it means to exist. Because there are different kinds of infinity, and infinity isn't a number, but it still affects mathematics in a very heavy way and affects the world around us in a very heavy way but if it's not a real thing how does it do that so we're going to in this episode we're going to break down what the different kinds of existence and what that means then how the concept of existence has affected mathematics and i'm want to apologize because on a prior episode i gave a history of calculus and it was more of a hand wave and that was that was wrong to do i should have given it a much more much more attention and a much more focused uh overview so i'm going to do that today so we're going to give a history of calculus and how existence has played a role in the development of that of that branch of mathematics so what does it mean to exist it's a very heavy question and most of us, when we think about existence, we think, well, I can see the things around me. They exist. I exist. I can see myself, my friends and family. I can see them. They exist. Uh, and the philosopher Rene Descartes had this question. He was wondering, well, do I exist? Am I real? And he's the one that came up with the saying, I think, therefore I am. And he was able to solve his question of existence by breaking away everything around him, by tearing it all down. And he was able to justify to himself that he was real because he was able to have thought that everything was around him because everything could be whittled down just to this, to his, to his mind, not nearly his brain, but his mind made him exist. And uh, there's been movies like The Matrix about how we're just living in this this uh, this reality that's been made by machines, and that we're living in this dream world. So existence is a it's not this it's not an esoteric idea. The question of existence isn't esoteric or anything like that. It's quite modern. It's throughout pop culture. Um, so there are three mainstream kinds of existence mainstream meaning 
within philosophy itself. There's three different kinds of existence, and there's sub-branches of these three. And if this was a philosophy podcast, we could dive into those, but, there's, but this isn't that. Uh, but the, so the first kind is materialism. And this is the, the thoughts that say that the only things that exist are matter and energy, and everything else is due to materials acting on each other. Uh, so even this, this includes things like consciousness. Consciousness uh, is just the interaction of neurochemicals and synapses firing and everything. This uh, currently, in today's world, this has been simplified down to physicism, which allows materialism to include things like space-time and dark matter, where those aren't actual material things, but they still are, they're physical things. They're, physics can study them, pretty much, is how you can think of this one. And this one is more empirical um, in that, in a scientific way, it's more empirical that physical things cause things to happen. It's very much causation and cause and effect. Um, I hit a pool ball, the rest of the pool balls break off as that one hits him. And then the third is idealism. Sorry, the third. The second is idealism. And this is that only thoughts and ideas exist. And that things like consciousness exist, and then they create the material world. So this is the other side of the extreme from materialism or physicism, where our perception creates literally everything around us. That even though that these are like I can, I have a pen next to me, I can touch this pen. My thoughts and my ideas and my perceptions of the world are what tell me that this is a pen, not the physical structure that makes up the pen. And now this may, this one may seem a little hippy dippy, but it does have a societal impact because it means that our social values and beliefs can shape society that what I believe about a person or about a group of people maybe can shape how I interact with them, the shape. And if enough people have that same belief that can shape the world around them because things, our beliefs can have an impact on material world, on the material world. The third is uh, scholasticism, which is that existence does not come from essence, but from the will of God. And so God is needed to balance the question of essence versus existence. And in, in metaphysics, um, a branch of philosophy, the question of existence versus essence, which one comes first, is a really big, con is a really big um, debate, or it was at one point. Um, and so what all that means is, uh, which comes first, like, does the tree exist, allowing us to extrapolate an essence of the tree? Or does an essence exist first? Does treeness exist? And then that creates the that creates the thing. Another way you could think about it is did you ex do you exist? Therefore you're able to create an essence, you create you're able so I, I exist, Adam exists, so then I create what it means to be Adam. Or did what it meant to be Adam exist? 
and then that made me. So you can those that's that's the two questions. What came first, existence or essence? There is a branch of philosophy called existentialism, and one of their maxims is that existence precedes essence. So the thing exists, a tree exists, and then we define what tree is based on what we see. To simplify it down uh, quite a bit. So that is there, and we're going to be coming back to this question of existence versus essence when we get to the history of calculus and how it was formalized. So where does, where does mathematics fit into all this? How does that make sense? So the first one, materialism, you can think of that as, as kind of like as Platonism, as mentioned in, uh, I think, episode four. It's, if, we t- if we're talking about mathematical entities, um, those obviously aren't physical things when you think of, um, like when I think like this pen is a physical thing, um, obviously mathematical things aren't like that, but you are able to, you can think of them as um, kind of like space, time, and dark matter, where they're physical, they're real, but they're not like actually, I cannot touch them. I cannot touch the square root of two. And remember that Platonism is that uh, mathematical things are real. They just exist in a world outside of us, but they are very real things. And so if, if you were a materialist in all aspects, if you were a pure materialist, then mathematical entities are real and then they influence the mathematical thinking that we do. Then there's idealism which you could think of as formalism, which I, we went over in episode five of this podcast series. And that everything comes from thought and thought only, so all of mathematics can be reduced down to logic and just more logic. Everything is a, is a logical step forward, and if you can't make the deduction to go backwards, then it's it's not mathematics. So what does that mean for the thesis of this podcast? Uh, that mathematics is a human activity and it's been created, all of it's been created by us and so that it's influenced by economics and politics and philosophy and everything else that we do affects math and math affects then everything else. Where does, where do those, those three kinds of existence, where do they sit within that thesis? And it seems like it's more of a, it's more on the idealism side. I I, I wouldn't say that it's all the way extreme idealism. It's, it's, it's probably a mix of the two, but more idealism. It's that we thought of these things. We thought of all these mathematical concepts and we made the language to describe the world. So that's why we see it in the world. But it's they're not real things i cannot pick up the square root of two it doesn't exist in a world outside of us and its ability to impact the world um is what makes it is what makes it lean more towards the idealism side the social value affecting society itself 
So how has existence affected, affected math historically? The phrase, uh, there exists a is very common in mathematics. It's very common in, uh, when in theorems or proofs, um, and no mathematician actually <laughs> questions what it means when they say that, when they say that there exists an X such that this thing is true. They're not actually, they don't question, uh, well, is that X a real X? Is it an X made in my mind? <laughs> is it a material X? Is it an idealist X? Uh, mathematicians don't think that way when they're doing math. I believe they should. I believe math. I think people should think about why they do the thing they do in all in everything. Uh, you can. I think metacognition is a super important uh, skill to have. You should always think about why you do things. Even mathematicians, we should think about why we do math and what it means when we say mathematical. When we have mathematical statements like "there exists a," and if a person, if if you take calculus one you hear one of the first as as one of the first introductions to more abstract kinds of math because you hear the def, a formal definition of a derivative and they always tell you that well it was Newton who invented calculus and Leibniz who invented calculus but when they did calculus when we do calculus those are two very different things um and both of them had very different approaches to calculus to say that one copy to Leibniz plagiarized off of Newton is is a it's, it's a very strange claim to make. Um, Newton didn't initially play or can uh, accuse uh, Leibniz of plagiarizing. He even in his first uh, publish. A publishment of his book Mathematica Principia, he like congratulated Leibniz like he's also a brilliant mathematician. And then, in each publication by the third edition, it was Leibniz plagiarized me and he stole my ideas. And Leibniz was then uh, uh, blackballed from the mathematic community. But what Leibniz focused on was what he called differentials or like minor changes. And because he was he was fascinated with with infinite sums. If I if I add up all of these things, sometimes it goes to infinity, sometimes it sometimes it converges down to a number, sometimes it goes to zero. Uh, he was fascinated with these things. In part, and he noticed that eventually, like when the ones that converge to a number, you're adding on infinite things, but it can still go to two. All of those things add up to two, but you're still adding on pieces. And that's because he called them, the other pieces are just, they're differentials. They're, they're so, they're such small additions that there's actually no change happening. If I was, if I was, uh, like counting money and I have all these coins, I would, I'd be putting down my dollar bills and then putting down some change that I had. And let's say we had a, a coin that was for 0.00000001 cent. If I put a bunch of those down, they don't, that really doesn't change the amount of money I have because that coin is worth so little. That's pretty much what the penny is now. It's worth so little that it doesn't matter at all.
And with this, with this concept of differentials, he was able to create integral calculus. And an integral, all it big fancy math language for an area under a curve. If I were to draw a graph in front of you, the area of the space that it takes up is called, it can be found with an integral. And this affected his, his philosophy. His philosophy didn't really influence his mathematics. It was more of his mathematics influ influencing his philosophy because he thought that nature was just the sum of infinite many parts and so that he could use his calculus to find the sums of nature almost. And then Newton, he, he didn't really care for that. He was focused on the power of calculation that calculus gave him because he was able to do things that using just algebra or just arithmetic would take forever. Um, one example, taking a square root by hand is a, without calculus is a very arduous thing to do. And when people do it, when people were able, did it the first time, it was a revolutionary thing. It was like, oh my God, this guy took a square root by hand. Then again, they wouldn't have said by hand because there was no other option. Um, but then Newton invented, uh, he didn't have derivatives either. He called them fluxions. He would use that to take a fifth root in his head instantly. The genius of a man, but he could not, he didn't really care what Newton, what Leibniz was doing with calculus. He had his own calculus, and, but they weren't derivatives. Neither of them had derivatives. They both had differentials. And I've mentioned in a few episodes um, differential equations, which I might give a history on in a, in a future episode. But the word derivative didn't exist. That didn't exist until a man named Pierre de Laplace, who was a French mathematician, um, he invented the word derivative. And a mathematician by the name of Cauchy invented the limit definition of a derivative. And a limit is a very, it's a very strange concept. And it, it describes what a, a, an equation or a function does as it approaches a number without ever getting to that number. And that seems a little bit paradox, a little paradoxical. Um, I've mentioned uh, Zenos's paradox before that if I'm trying to walk from, if I'm trying to walk across my room, I have to first walk halfway and then halfway of that and then halfway of that. And so in theory, if I'm constantly only walking half the distance, I shouldn't ever get across the room. But obviously I do. I don't, I don't get infinitely close to the wall without ever hitting the wall. I'm going to hit the wall. So there are some paradoxes within, uh, within some cat within calculus that have his, uh, societal pressures and impacts that we will dis discuss in a, uh, in a few episodes. But the idea of a limit is, is not a new idea. It's been, it's very old. It's as old as the Xenos paradox, which is ancient Greek. And, but the, so they were, Cauchy uh, formalized it. And if you've ever taken a calculus class, the, the, the phrase for every epsilon, there exists a delta kind of haunts 
students that don't, that take a Calc 1. Um, but what is that? What does that mean um, in terms of our discussion with existence? Did um, epsilon and delta, they're, they are letters, they are variables, they do not matter. You don't, they're nothing, they don't really have a definition. So for every epsilon, there exists a delta. Does that delta exist? Is it material delta? Is it an idealist delta? Did God make the delta for going scholasticism? No mathematician ever thinks of these things, but did the idea of existence impact of math? Because calculus worked for 200 years before this phrase ever existed, <laughs> before everyone wrote, anyone wrote down this phrase. Calculus was working. Newton was able to do amazing things with calculus. Leibniz was able to do amazing things with calculus. Um, a mathematician named Huygens was able to do amazing things with calculus without this phrase. And granted, this formal phrase, this formal definition, as it was to allow, had allowed us to describe and manipulate mathematical ideas for more than the Leibniz calculus would have been able to, but did this delta, did this definition exist before formalization? Or did formalization create this this definition? Did, it ex did existence precede essence? Or did essence precede existence? There's not really an answer to this question because mathematics works, this definition works. But it's it's a it needs to be thought about because there are some people who think that infinity isn't real. There are mathematicians who think infinity doesn't exist. So in the next episode, we're going to take this discussion on existence and apply it to infinity. And maybe we can come up with an agreement whether or not infinity is real. See you next time.